Hello, and welcome to the Film Design Podcast. I'm your host, Max Lincoln. Today, I'll be speaking with Noam Piper, a production designer working across film, TV, and commercials. He has recently designed Jesus, His Life, for the History Channel, and features including Burn, 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 Vita in Virginia, and Dead in a Week, or Your Money Back. So could you just explain a little bit about what you do and who you are? Sure. Uh, my name's Noam. I'm a production designer for film and TV. And what I do is I set to look and feel for a film or a TV show. Amazing. And um, could you explain a bit about how you got to where you are now? Yes, uh, certainly. Uh, where, do I, where do we begin? It? Um, both my parents are designers, um, though not in the film industry. Um, they are, they come from very much a product design, packaging design background. So I've always had that design uh, upbringing, you know, it's in my blood. I've always been drawing from the earliest age, um, you know, observing life. Uh, I guess I was inverted commas, a creative kid, um, although I knew, you know, no other way. Um, and then sort of in my adolescence, uh, became familiar with, you know, films, particularly more complex films, which I, find, I found very influential. And that led me to film school. So quite a, a straight route, if you will, at film schools, really, when I um, started getting involved with and understanding production design. I actually didn't really know that films get designed very much like pretty much any product does up until that point. And then after film school, just started working on any film or project that would take me on in various capacities in the art department for quite a few years uh, until eventually branching out on my own and designing my own projects. Amazing. So um, what was the film school you went to and how do you think that kind of set you on the path? I went to the Arts Institute at Bournemouth with you, Max. Uh, <laughs> Which is now called the Arts University at Bournemouth, for those curious. So it wasn't uh, a univer- well, it wasn't accredited university then, but I think it was because we all we all got a BA at the end of it. But um, so so, what's the question? How did that help me? Uh, yeah, how did do you think that helped put you um, on the direction of art, or you know, was it less so, or? You know, I have to say that I've got mixed feelings about it. Um, for sure, it helped because I think as, a, you know, a young man, I would, have, I would have been 17, 18 at the time, I probably wouldn't have been ready to go straight into a workforce at that age. Um, but I, I can't say I would like fully recommend it, at least not in the iteration that I went through many, many years ago. Um, however, what it did help is understand the mechanics of filmmaking, uh, you know, how it's broken down, um, sort of how certain hierarchies and, and certain political structures work already. Uh, that was very prevalent at film school. It's quite elitist in many ways. And yeah, and just, just you know, how, how films are made from how you break them down, shot by shot, sequencing, um, 
yeah, just a fundamental understanding of filmmaking, which I personally think one can get um, from working, uh, not necessarily, you can skip the whole film school thing. Okay, so when you first started out in the art department, what kind of, you know, what excited you about being on set and what made you want to continue and pursue it as a career? I mean, I think I always knew that I wanted to get into film. I think it's a, it's a storytelling aspect, really. Um, I think that, you know, any film that manages to grab you, the viewer, and make you feel the range of emotion, whether that's to make you laugh or cry or feel horror or anything in between those things, I think it's an incredible thing. You know, we're all just looking at this square or rectangle and we're, we're sort of completely immersed in the story. And that's such a powerful thing. So you go through such a, such a magical device. Um, so I wanted to be part of that, you know, part of the team, the magicians to, that, that pulls a sort of cloak um, in, front of the, in front of the audience. Um, so, so that's, I don't think that's really ever changed. Um, and yeah, I think that the, the set design aspect, again, because of my background in design, uh, meant that I was, I found myself quite naturally geared towards that role. Amazing. So you've recently been in South Africa designing a feature film. Um, when you started kind of pre-production, um, how did you kind of get your research and how did you begin the process of designing the world of the film? It's a good question. So, I mean, the, the last film that I did uh, in South Africa is a little science fiction film. And the process of that is kind of classic in the sense that I was involved from a very, very early age in what we call soft prep, which is an unofficial preparation period before the film is officially greenlit or goes ahead. In that period, uh, firstly, the designer has to kind of win the pitch, if you will, um, with the director and the producers, uh, convince them that you are the right person for the film. Uh, and then from then on, sort of you build a, a lookbook, uh, a Bible, an image Bible, if you will, for the project and have many, many conversations uh, those initial conversations with the director, you know, trying to extract what it is um, that he or she sees, you know, what they're trying to convey. Uh, eventually, a year later, we found ourselves filming in South Africa. We actually thought we'd be filming in Morocco, but ended up being South Africa. And, uh, and yeah, we ended up building a, a huge set out in the middle of nowhere, right on the border of Namibia. It's a fantastic project. Amazing. Um, so you briefly mentioned about working with a director. Um, how do you go about as a designer kind of uh, working out their tastes and their influences and how do you find a creative harmony? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a good one as well. Uh, look, I mean, every director is, as you know, is incredibly different. Um, you know, there's no school for directors that can be wildly different in their approach and backgrounds and personality. Um, so I guess what you're firstly looking is a sort of whether you are, or at least I do, I look whether you're personally 
compatible with the person because this is someone that you're going to spend a huge amount of time with you know it's someone you're probably going to be on the phone at some ungodly hour at night or extremely early in the morning um so so you want from like a very basic perspective ideally you want it someone that you get along with and not necessarily from a friendship point of view but at least from an, a creative one or an emotive one so I guess the first protocol is that it's just a sense of like whether you have a commonality whether you have an understanding so I'll normally go into a meeting with sort of some ideas I'll always read the script obviously and then I'll sort of present something some sort of ideas and they might be way off but what I'm trying to show is this is what I'm thinking, you know, this is my initial reaction. Uh, what do you think? And, you know, whilst you're being interviewed, you're kind of interviewing them as well. So there's that kind of like, you try and see if there's that common ground. Amazing. Um, so you're working on a feature. You've been asked by the director to create some mad sci-fi city or something let's say um you kind of know how much that's going to cost how do you go to the producer and ask them for more money or where's the the boundary of the creative vision of the director and the reality of um what you believe the producer is going to say the budget is yeah that's you know that <laughs> it's well there's never enough money and there's never enough time i, I believe that to be a common denominator at least on every project that I've worked on but pretty much every designer that I've spoken to including the you know the big guns have always said this to me um look I, I think when it all starts from the script as a point of departure uh and if the script says you have an army of 5,000 stormtroopers landing on some sort of exotic planet uh with you know, spaceships and aliens involved, you would very much hope that whoever's in charge of packaging that from a financial perspective uh, puts it within some sort of realistic realms. Of course, every designer then tries to get as much allocated for their own art department budgets as possible to obviously build and create the biggest uh, version uh, of that reality to the best of their abilities. Um, how do you do that? It's, it's really, you know, you, you might start with something like some concept boards and some keyframes and some mood boards that you would develop and having these conversations um, early on, deciding how you're going to be making the film. Um, are you going to be building it? Is it going to be a partial build? Is there going to be a lot of VFX? That's to say, um, post-production uh, visual enhancements. Are you doing it in camera? Will it be on locations? Um, so, you know, because the, there's many ways to skin a cat. There's, there's many different approaches you can take to the same script and deliver it in a different way. Um, but generally, uh, the conversations end up being you know, how can we do this in the most economical way possible, but also make it look as expensive as possible? That's, that's the problem which I'm always trying to find myself solving. 
So when you're starting a project, you've mentioned research and mood boards. How do you go about finding research? Um, you worked on a TV series about Jesus. Um, that's obviously um, a period that you can't exactly check on the internet for. How do you go about finding research as to what things might have looked like and um, the kind of um, aspects of people's lives that you might have to gather prop-wise? Mm. Well, um, it's uh, again an excellent question. Uh, I would say first and foremost uh, that research for me is the basis of absolutely everything. I mean, even if I do a, a contemporary comedy, uh, I would still have, you know, start immersing myself with a lot of visual imagery as much as possible. Uh, if you're doing a historical drama, that becomes even more uh, paramount because you want to be as accurate as possible in your depiction of a particular period. Unless, of course, you know, the script sort of decrees that you're, you know, if it's a parody, for instance, you, but generally speaking, you want to be as faithful as possible to a certain period and time. Um, so how do you go about it? I mean, firstly, I'm, I'm blessed to live in London, which has the most unbelievable resources in libraries, archives, museums, um, which are generally the first sort of port of call. Um, there's just an unbelievable amount available in the public domain. And then what I'll do is I'll try and go, you know, there might be um, certain, uh, you know, specialists or advisors or people who are close to the subject which I can approach. So, for example, um, I did a film about the life of Virginia Woolf or a love affair that she had. And, you know, we approached... Um, you know the the uh, the the wolf um, her group and Vita Sackville West group and Charleston House and the National Trust and we started having a lot of direct conversations with um, with with their houses um, with Jesus, um, which is obviously a biblical, um, yeah, uh, set pretty much you know, in the time period of the Romans, um, there is not... I mean, look, there's a lot of architecture out there. Uh, there's a lot of historical records from the time, uh, which is probably going to be the starting point. There's, there's a fair amount out there, but generally, um, yeah, you'll be piecing things together through whatever historical records you can go through, through archives. I mean, this is a job I did through the History Channel. So they had um, an amazing research department working for them as well. So I was, I was blessed to work very closely with them and receive just tons of material from those guys to be working with. And you want to know everything. You want to know, like, how did people eat? Uh, what sort of ceremonies did they conduct when someone died? How did people live? What were houses like? What were windows like? You know, what were all the fixtures and fittings? And things were so different back then. The way one lived, you know, in very small one-bedroom houses, you'd often sleep with, you know, the entire family or multiple families on the floor. Um, you'd eat on the floor. 
and very much the house was never used for anything other than housing animals and humans and all activities would generally be outdoors um but yeah um does that kind of answer the question yeah no absolutely no that was um that was brilliant so what would you say is a favorite part of the job like what really kind of gets you excited when you start a new project uh all of it i absolutely love my job uh generally i get really 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 excited uh from the minute obviously i get sort of confirmed onto a project and i know that it's happening and then i just try and like build this bible which i'm i refer to as a bible but uh call it a look book if you will um a, a sort of a template a visual template to which the rest of the film would ad- adhere to in terms of its look and feel um so i find that very exciting because you know in the beginning every possibility is sort of you're casting the net wide everything's possible and then you're just sort of narrowing it down you're focusing you're chiseling away at the stone and uh to to exact to get a focused look so i enjoy all of those conversations with you know the the powers that be whether it's a director or a writer or a producer or a showrunner or all of these guys and um to, to really sort of hone the look and then yeah taking that onto the next step and and making it specific because you start with something that's abstract and then you really need to make it specific and that's to the location or locations or to the budget or the time frame you have a million and one parameters uh that you have to accommodate the film to and they're usually very very challenging and can run against what it is that you're trying to create um i actually find that quite exciting because uh, i really believe that everything is achievable absolutely so you mentioned soft prep before um you know so the project hasn't been greenlit the money isn't necessarily there but you one can assume love the script you love the concept um how does that work do they pay you for the time that you're prepping with them or is it a deferred payment like how do they keep you on a project when they can't quite guarantee the project's going ahead it's a fantastic question and i wish i could give a clear cut answer to that um i think generally uh the answer unfortunately at least in my experience is you're not on the payroll you're not getting a a weekly paycheck for for this work you're doing it somewhat in good faith um it's the unfortunate nature as well i find of the industry being you know completely freelance which makes it extremely dynamic and organic but you know everyone's out there fighting to get a job and the, and and the filmmakers themselves are fighting to get that project made um so i think there's a lot of good faith involved um what i would try and do and luckily i i also have an agent so you know they cover me a little bit in these sort of conversations that i have is i might do some work in good faith early on and then have it written that should and when the film does proceed that i get covered for some of my time 
um, that are put in advance. That can be one way to resolve it. Um, another could be that it's all a question of timing. So, for instance, if I'm wrapping up one project and you know, I start freeing up more time and there's another project that's coming along on the horizon. I mean, that's the ideal, it never really works that way. But if that happens, then it's like, well, you know, I, I do have some time. I've still got this other job, which I'm wrapping up now. I can suddenly start putting, you know, a few bits and pieces together. Um, so it's always this kind of like tug of rope sort of situation. Um, but yeah, but generally, and I could be completely wrong saying this, but I think there is a little bit of good faith and you, one has to almost like smell the situation a little bit, you know, whether you get the sense of this film will happen, that the, that the people behind it are responsible and are doing everything they can in their power to ensure it gets greenlit. Um, unfortunately, it can happen where you work on a project and it doesn't happen. Uh, fortunately for me, my experience have actually been very, very positive, and that's almost, you know, in fact, I can't even think of an occasion. Oh yes, that will be an occasion when it's happened, but it's very, it's rare. It's rare. Okay, and um, so you're with an agent. How how does that work in terms of the dynamic? Do you have to call them and be like, hey, buddy, what's going on? Or do you find they call you frequently? Like, are you, what's what's the dynamic like? Well, I, yeah, so look, I've, I've been doing, I've been working in the art department, for, you know, the best part of a decade. And I've probably been designing for about, you know, last four years or so. And I've recently got an agent and they actually, I got, I got a job in TV. The first TV job I got was through them, which is fantastic um, because they really opened uh, a door to me which was you know not available and I also realized afterwards that um, there are actual differences between designing for TV and film I mean my initial reaction was like well I'm designing sets for film what's the difference you know TV film it's the same and it is from a pure design perspective but um, they're very different um, political dynamics in TV than there are to film. For instance, uh, and it was a case on that show that I was hired prior to a director being on board. And then three directors came on board to direct the eight episodes and each director had their own cinematographer. So there'd be three directors, three cinematographers and one designer uh, to keep a constant throughout the whole show. Uh, and juggling all of these personalities and schedules and uh, multiple episodes, um, yeah, it takes a different sort of, takes on different characteristic. So that's a positive side of an agent. That and the fact that they deal with those uncomfortable conversations, which are just the most annoying ones to have about, you know, justifying why you should get a nominal payment for working every hour of every day on someone's project. Um, so, so that's great because they sort of take the stress off of that. There's sort of someone behind you ensuring that you're being paid for your time. Um, I hope getting as high a fee or at least ensuring that your fee is in line with everyone else on the project. 
But the truth is, my experience of an agent is they're not, um, and I, I mean this with the most respect, I, I wouldn't expect an agent to be calling you every week saying, oh, we've, you know, you're up for this job, we're putting you up for that, and these guys have come in for you. I mean, I find that my day-to-day and my approach to getting work is still exactly the same as before I had an agent. And, I'm, you know, ultimately you are your own best agent. Cool. So talking about TV, multiple directors, multiple DPs, and you being the one, I guess, baseline that has to be the same, how do you collaborate with those different units um, because I can imagine some DPs will really be into using a style of lighting that others will really dislike actively quite possibly and um, so do you have to kind of listen to each of the groups and try and find an overarching vibe that works or do you just keep doing your style and adapt per person as the day arises uh, so look, uh, my, my experience has been this, that um, whoever comes in to film the first, what we call the first block on a TV show, that's to say the first director and cinematographer, particularly if it's a first iteration of um, the show. So for instance, uh, you know, if you're watching the third season of Killing Eve, I mean, Killing Eve's got a very established look and feel from seasons one which follows on to two which follow you know the you have an audience sort of expectation of what killing eve should look like um but when you're when you're coming on to the to do the first series and you are the person that's basically establishing that look um i my experience is that you actually end up devising the look and feel yourself uh, when the director comes on board you're, of the first block, you'll work very closely with them, exactly as you would on a film, and getting the look and feel that they sort of like and you like, and more importantly, that the showrunners like. And then that look gets maintained, and the subsequent directors and cinematographers that come on board although they will all bring their own sensibilities and approaches to it, and some of which are completely contradictory from the previous group, they will all adhere to the look and the world that's already been established. You know, I find myself in a funny position sometimes where you, the second block director and DP will come on board a set and you're just, you're actually telling them, this is where this takes place, this is where that takes place, this is where you're going to film this, and this is where you're going to be doing that, because it's all been established, it's all continuity. So it's not, they, they, they become more sort of technical directors and technical DPs at that point, rather than coming up with, you know, a whole new, um, yeah, uh, library of, uh, in terms of look and feel. So now, do you have any highlights from the last year or any time pre-quarantine that you'd like to mention? Yeah, definitely. Um, the highlight for me for, for last year, the clear highlight was this film, which is, uh, it was called Settlers. Uh, although I appreciate that sometimes when you work on a project, the title can change by the time it gets released. Um, so it's yet unreleased. 
Um, but Settlers was a science fiction film that we filmed in the middle of nowhere, in right in the northern cape of uh, South Africa, on the border of Namibia, uh, about, it was about 800 kilometers away from Cape Town. And we ended up building a gargantuan science fiction set out in the desert, uh, in the middle of nowhere. And it was an extraordinary uh, logistical challenge, particularly, um, to get the, this enormous set, interior and exterior, of uh, multiple buildings built uh, out in the, uh, in the sticks. Um, but proved to be incredibly rewarding with the most amazing people on board and, you know, in the most idyllic set setting, uh, really removed. We actually had a, there was no internet or, or phone reception on this location at all. And we had this, um, you know, one of these old school satellite phones, you know, one of those things that looks like a brick, Amazing. huge, com comes in a case. And we'd have that for the whole construction team and myself that were there weeks before the rest of the crew would arrive. And literally at the end of the day or twice a day, we would have to drive up to the nearest hill, get this satellite phone and sort of report um, back down to Cape Town, our, our daily progress. I mean, it was really, really remote. It was really disconnected. Um, it's great fun. Uh, when when the unit finally came up, they had to they had to bring internet. You know, they had to bring reception with them. So we had these like vans with massive satellites. It was crazy. Oh, that's really exciting. And um, yeah, so what would you say? We're in this beautiful quarantine period of our lives. Um, the time of our life. What are your top tips for quarantine um, and, you know, keeping your artistic sensibilities from drying up? Uh, my top tips are, uh, one, this is actually an incredible opportunity we all have. Uh, I, I appreciate it's obviously very difficult because nobody that I know is working at the moment, but it's a wonderful time to just take stock and have a moment to breathe and do those things that you actually never allow yourself to do. I mean, I, I found in my sort of five weeks or whatever now that there's so many things where I just don't permit myself to do because it's not directly helpful for my work. Um, so it could be anything from just, you know, drawing and exploring your own sort of, yeah, creative sides, which you might not sort of do. I've been doing a lot of like collage work, um, been doing a lot of drawing, I've been you know, doing a lot of reading. Um, I always try and read and draw as much as I can, but just really boosting those. And as well as your health, you know, uh, been exercising a lot. Um, so strangely, been really kind of looking at myself both from a mental and a physical aspect. And I think that's, it's a great time to sort of do that. Filmmaking is very unhealthy. You know, it's, it's really it's really tough mentally it's really tough physically it's you're involved every single hour of every day um so it's good in a way to have this like enforced stop it's kind of quite pleasant um so yeah do that uh that that would be my top tip amazing well thanks again so much for coming on our show and i look forward to seeing settlers or whatever it ends up being called when it eventually comes out Fantastic. Thank you for having me on board. It's a pleasure.
This episode was edited by Callum Bell. The intro track was composed by Sam McGrail and mixed by Max Bloom. And the artwork was created by Alec Jagodzinski. <laughs>